Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So super excited. You know, today with the guests that we have, I mean, very incredible stuff that we're going to be talking about, especially a very, I would say, not not ordinary type of uh, structuring or capitalizing a business, you know, where it blends private equity right off the bat, you know, with the uh, with the building and scaling of, of the operation. But I think that we're going to be learning a lot, you know, especially going from corporate to entrepreneurship. I think that we can all, you know, relate to that, especially the, the ones that we are entrepreneurs. So. I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. And Shuman Singh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk about, you know, your upbringings. You know, let's do a little bit of a walk through memory lane. So uh, you're someone that moved quite a bit, you know, there in India. So tell us about, you know, life, you know, really growing up. I call myself or my journey as a journey from an upper middle class family to finally becoming an entrepreneur. India is very different from the Western world, actually. Uh, at least it used to be very, very different from the Western world in the in my earlier part of the life. There were two classes of people. One was business and the other was service class. In India, greed was bad. Greed was one of the sins. Money was not a good thing. The only aspiration that people used to have 40 years ago or 50 years ago was to get into government jobs, get into a good engineering college, and then get into a good government job. And I grew up in that era. My father happened to be a mining engineer from one of the world's best mining institutes. There's an institute called Indian School of Mines in Dhanbad in India, one of the better institutes. He was a mining engineer. He worked in the private sector earlier, and then later on, coal mines got nationalized. And coal, there's a large corporate called Coal India, which actually is a monopoly company in the coal sector. And he was a part of Coal India and he was a top man of Coal India because mining engineers are the people who run that company. He happened to be a very senior man right from early days. And I had a very, very good upbringing in terms of I was in a very remote uh, location in West Bengal. That's where I grew up. Uh, the British, once they left in 1947, they had built huge bungalows. So I grew up in British built bungalows of six acres and seven acres of space with swimming pools. So I had some advantages of what British had built in India in my growing up years. My father was running very large corporate in mining. But money-wise, 
I did not see any money during my grow, growing years because we never needed to see money. The, the government sector took good care of us in terms of bungalows and uh, all the surrounding paraphernalia. Luckily, the uh, a lot of British time schools had come up in that area. So I got to be educated in some of the best schools in the country. But at best, I would describe myself as an upper middle class family, classical service class. Uh, where every generation had to make it on their own. My father, one of the things that he taught me was that, listen, my his father was uh, Indian police service officer, a very, very high-ranking police officer. But he told him that you better study yourself. My father studied and made, he was a self-made man. The same thing he told me, listen, I'm doing well in my career, but for you, you will have to do it on your own because that's how India is. And so study. And that's what I did. So I was a top in school, did very well in school. Then I did my 12th from one of the most premium schools in the country, St. Columbus in Delhi. And post that, I did my engineering and mechanical, did my MBA. And just like any classical upper middle class family, I joined a large corporate. Uh, during my, in fact, uh, that's where destiny played a role. In my MBA campus, a very large finance company at that point of time had come in early 90s. And in those days, security analysis, merchant banking, investment banking were the sectors that were very hot in the country. And I had done my MBA in finance, assuming that maybe one day I'll get into merchant banking, etc. We didn't know much about it in those days. That uh, one in the campus on day one, one of the larger finance companies came into the campus and they offered a very, very good salary. And that, that supposedly was the dream job. 100 people applied, the whole batch applied. Finally, six people got shortlisted. I was one of them. And in the final four, I was not selected. And I thought the world had fallen and uh, the whole world had ended and it was the heavens have fallen. So it was that kind of a feeling. So next day, another company came in, a, a corporate, which was offering one third the salary and offering position in a very, very remote location of the country. But the corporate was large. And I was so frustrated with my failure the previous day that I just went and said yes to everything that the company offered. And I was selected the same day. And that was destiny. The One of the things that that company said that, listen, you are a mechanical engineer and MBA in finance. We are one of the largest business groups in the country. And that was Aditya Birla Group. It's still one of the largest build, uh, groups in the in India, the Builder Group. And they said that we are going to offer you a techno-commercial function, a function called materials management. And all my dreams of getting into merchant banking disappeared that day. And I joined a function called materials management in a very, very remote location in a state called Madhya Pradesh. The Positives of that small location was I joined the company called Grasim, which was a flagship company of the Aditya Birla Group, which is one of the which was one of the largest groups in the country at that point of time. Even today, it is one of the largest uh, groups in the country. And I joined the materials function in the in Grasim viscose fiber plant. The only distinction there was that it was the largest viscose fiber plant in the world. I think that the most important thing was that it was your first exposure to logistics because I mean you've really develop your career in logistics. And and I guess that even though you didn't get that investment banking, I think that things are meant for a reason, you know, as they say, because now, you know, this has been your life, you know, uh, 
logistics, and in fact, you've built two companies in this in this segment. So one of the things that that is very interesting here is that you are a very knowledgeable individual in this space, and and the reason why this is your case is because you've been able to grow through the ranks. So as you've been growing from being, you know, at the bottom all the way at the top, what has been some of the key lessons that you've learned about, you know, a logistics company and, and what it makes it successful? Uh, I'll just go slightly backward and then tell you the whole sequence. When I joined the materials function, that was the early 90s. In those days, there was only one formula for success. You have to really work very, very hard in India. And I did work 20 hours a day. So the knowledge, so I couldn't agree more with you when you said that growing through the ranks has its advantages and it gives you phenomenal amount of knowledge. Uh, as one of the books called Outliers suggests that uh, 10,000 hours rule, I think I covered my 10,000 hours very early, early in life because I used to work 20 hours a day in my earlier part of the career. Because that was the only way in India. India was not a very uh, evolved country, but not very economically very developed country at that point of time. It was a developing country. And the only way to grow was to work very, very, very hard. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in, in this case, you know, like for you, you know, what, what were some of the key lessons, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, because you went from just being, you know, someone at the bottom to then, you know, becoming a general manager to then, you know, becoming a head and then to becoming a chief executive officer. So, I mean, obviously there's different functions, different responsibilities and different problems that you're dealing with. So I think the entrepreneurial gene, now I realize, I did not know it then. I, actually, every you are also an entrepreneur. Every entrepreneur has a risk-taking ability inside him or her. And otherwise, you can't be an entrepreneur. I think that risk-taking ability was always inside me. Uh, in those years when everybody is afraid, everybody used to be afraid, everybody used to be insecure about jobs. Uh, if you don't get a job, then what? Uh, kind of a scenario, I took the risk of getting into a function about which I had no idea, nor I had an inclination for, a function called materials. I did not know that it was going to shape my destiny in the future. I took that risk. I went to a very remote location. I joined a sector, viscose fiber, a commodity sector, fiber plant, in largest fiber plant in the world, about which I had no, no inkling. I did not choose a large metro to work, although I had grown up, I had done my later schooling in metros and engineering and, and MBA in metros. I took that risk and believe me, that stint actually um, honed my earlier years. The 20 hours working, I got an opportunity. Since I was the first batch of MBAs recruited by that large corporate group, I also happened to be the pampered lot. I was put on the high potential fast track cadre. And because of that, I got phenomenal exposure. I implemented the first modern materials management system in the country 30 years ago. And that was phenomenal learning. I also, they kept on rotating me because I was doing well and I was working very, very hard. They kept on rotating me from one function to the other and I kept on taking the challenges. I, initially, I was put in charge of stores. Now, which MBA goes and runs a store or a go-down inside a plant? That's not what you did your MBA for. But I took that call and I really got skilled in that area. Later on, they put me in charge of purchase. Now, that corporate was a very, very old school corporate. And normally in a purchase function, you would get authority of signing purchase orders when you are above 50 or 55. I was 25 then. 
I did well and at the age of 28, I was buying almost 100 million US dollars worth of procurement 30 years ago. Now that at that age was a phenomenal exposure and that only happened because of sheer hard work and uh, dedicating myself completely to the job. And I think the, those risks, those uh, that dedication, what happens is in that age in India in those days, most people would spend time chit-chatting, gossiping, watching movies uh, because th those were the days. Um, you've just got a job. That's what you want to do. I think I had done enough of that in my engineering and MBA years. I think I said that the only thing I want to do is build my career. Build it very, very well. My parents have great expectations of me. And at that point of time, you had to prove to the world. You had to prove to your parents. You had to prove to yourself that you are worth what you are. That, that Those were the days. Maybe not today. Today it's a very, very different world. But those were the days. In your case, a pivotal moment was a future group India. I mean, here we're talking about a company now with like 19,000 employees, you know, where you had big responsibilities and where this was the immediate, you know, step to you, you know, going out and saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to go and build my, my first company. So, I mean, you were, you were not, not young. Right when when you build this first company, I mean, uh, obviously you're not like in the early twenties, like you would see here in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. So, what happened there for you to say, you know what, I'm gonna go and and build this this company for the first time in in your life? I will link it again to destiny. You know what? I started driving at the age of ten, and I started driving a sc my school bus at the age of eleven. Today, I realized that I never knew that I will be driving trucks of my own, thousands of trucks of my own, on a thousands of warehouses of my own. So that's what happened. But what happened in my earlier career was that I moved from materials. I kept on changing jobs. I became a logistics guy. Then I became a supply chain guy. And in nine, in 2000, when I joined Bombay Dying, I was designated general manager supply chain. I was the first person in India to, to have that designation. There was no supply chain word in India at that point of time. And you know what I realized? That being in supply chain right from procurement of raw material to inbound transportation to inbound inventory to manufacturing to production planning to finish good inventory to finish good warehousing and then transporting the goods and taking the goods to the dealers i learned the entire gamut of business in my early years normally it takes professionals 20 25 years to learn the entire business i was able to learn it in five just because i happened to be in the field of supply chain and i said this is destiny and i've learned it fast and now i want to build a company and i want to run so when I was running, when I was in the first time in my future group stint, I was heading supply chain. I was opening retail stores. That was my first stint to the retail sector. And I was loving it. And then I said, listen, I've now learned the entire business end to end. Time that I run a company. And that's, I just desired it and I got head on it. I was lucky. I became CEO at a very young age of 35 of a very large textile corporate called Westpun. And I was out of my supply chain background. Now I was running a textile and a retail company and I ran that company for two and a half years. I was the India CEO for Wellspun India. And that was my first, and I was the first supply chain guy in India who became CEO of a large corporate. Before that, either salespeople or finance people or maybe operations people used to become CEOs, largely the marketing people. The first supply chain to become CEO, so that was glory days, heady days, media was loving me, I was in my glory day. I thought I have arrived in life. But after two years, what next? So Future Group called me back. The founder of Future Group called me back and he said, see, you have been CEO now. You have been a successful CEO. What do you want to do next? I said, my next tent will logically should be entrepreneurship. And he said, yes, exactly. So let's build a company together. And that's 
the first time when i became an entrepreneur whatever i had saved my money i had saved a lot of money to build my to get my own house i did not buy a house i put in the entire money and founded future supply chain along with the future group promoter the whole intent was that in india logistics is extremely primitive uh, we we are a sheds and godowns and a lorries country which is very very primitive in its working so future group can take the credit for revolutionizing retail in the country and when i worked with the future group founder in the first stint i saw him transforming retail in the country i thought my time has come to transform supply chain in the country and what better way to do it with with the founder of future group because it was the largest retail group it would give me the opportunity to get automation and technology into india and this space and that's how i founded future supply chain went across the world and believe me when i went across the world with my team and i went to every part of the world right from china to the west coast of america i have covered everything in the world and several times there's no supply chain practice or process or technology or automation which we did not see how 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 were you guys say making money on uh, on future supply chain uh, what, what what was the business model there so initially the whole purpose was that we will uh, we will take future group as the captive customer we'll set the back end for future group we'll we'll reduce the cost of supply chain and this will increase the speed of supply chain for future group and once that is well settled we'll take our expertise to outside companies and we'll keep building that and that's exactly what happened since i we were the back end of the largest retail group in the country and once we saw the world we were able to get the global technology global automation to this country and we did a lot of first in the country we got the first large warehouse of 500000 square feet several of them across the country we got the first wms we got the first conveyor systems we got the first sortation systems we got the first uh, cross belt sortation systems etc etc in the country way back in 2007 8 and then we kept on building the company over the years and then i started doing business with outside companies other than the future group and it was quite a, it became quite a profitable company because what we had achieved was what other people had not tried in the earlier times and that was building a modern supply chain and yet lowering costs there were a lot of multinational supply chain companies already present in the country but they would approach customers saying that listen we will improve your service will improve your infrastructure but you will have to pay more now in india nobody pays more for better service and i think in the world nobody pays more anymore for better service everybody want better service but the cost should still go lower and that's what we achieved there we were able to use automation infrastructure processes knowledge and global expertise and reduce the cost of supply chain despite making the most modern supply chain and that's when i started feeling that the time has come that i should go on my own founder journey because my captive group was taking a lot of my time i was not able to invest that much um, that amount of time in building the business for other companies in the country and since i come from a service class background my father has worked in a government company my grandfather worked in a government company i felt that this country specifically india is still very primitive in the logistics supply chain space i must have a mission or a vision greater than making only money why not take this opportunity when there is an opportunity to transform the whole supply chain landscape of this country and making money or wealth creation will be a by product and that's exactly the thought that drove me to create stellar value chain in the year 2016 the vision statement of stellar says that we will try and endeavor to bring india to the top 5 of the global logistics performance index so that's a large vision 
So in management books, we read that businesses are made for creating profits and creating shareholders' wealth. I said that may not necessarily be the only objective. That can be a byproduct. Why not have a larger objective? And that's what we are working on. Because this is the country where there was an opportunity to do so. And this was a country where I was well placed to do so. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now, I want to ask you on future supply chain, you know, a pretty big company. I mean, how many, how many employees, uh, you know, that, does the company have today? 5,000. 5,000. I mean, that, that's, that's quite a lot of employees and, and quite a big business. Uh, why, at what point do you realize it's my time to go? Because, I mean, this is your first baby. I'm sure the parting ways with your first baby is, is, is not easy. So what was that process like? So I realized that around 2014, it took me two years to convince my the founder of Future Group that I want to move. And then finally, I decided, so in India, we, we believe in relationships. We don't part ways for the sake of parting or for the sake of doing our own thing. We nurture relationships and we honor those relationships. So even if it's a personal cost, we normally do that. At least I personally do that here. And since the relationship was 15 years, so it took two years for me to finally move out. But the, the other thing was that it was well set. The whole back end was well set. Future group was well set. Future group was doing well. Future supply chain was doing well. I had made it ready for an IPO for going public. So everything was well set. So it turned out to be easy. Got it. And on Stellar uh, Value Chain, I mean, what's really the business model? I mean, what 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 is Stellar Value Chain all about? How do you guys make money? So Stellar Value Chain was started basically is a journey which continued from my previous journey. So I started this journey from where I ended my previous journey. So I built a particular expertise in the supply chain landscape, especially on the consumer side. And when I founded Future Log Supply Chain, actually, I initially I named it Future Logistics. Later on, I named it Future Supply Chain. When I founded Stellar, on day one, I named it Stellar Value Chain, that we will extend the whole gamut. We'll move from the first end, vendor's vendor, to the last point, customer's customer. Stellar is a company built for adding value to the entire value chain of large corporates in this country. And by doing that, we'll make a difference to the land, to the entire land supply chain landscape of this country. What Now, what do we intend to do here? Anything that is stored or moved, we want to transform that across the chain. So storage can be raw material storage, finished goods storage, intermediate storage. That means warehousing. So all modern warehousing, we have decided to become the largest player in modern warehousing landscape. So we are building 50 logistic parks across the country through our partner vendor, partner developers. 50 million square feet is a large play in India. Nobody has it. The largest player has 8 million or 10 million. We already have 12 million square feet of uh, logistic parks operating right now. We are already among the largest now in five years itself. We have decided to make 50 million in the next five years and 100 million in the next 10 years. And across 21 major consumption and production centers of the country. And we've decided to link all the logistic parks with each other with a network of trucks and we'll run approximately 50,000 trucks. And that's what we have done for the last five years. We are, we are building this infrastructure of 50,000 trucks and 50 million square feet. On top of that, we have been, since we started this company from scratch, I started this company from scratch, we've been building expertise so we call ourselves today a nine by nine by nine company. So we have expertise today in nine sectors 
we have got nine products on the fulfillment side that is the warehousing side and we have got nine products on the logistic side that is the transportation side now building these 18 products across nine sectors five years has been a terrific journey and it's a it's been a lot of hard work to build 18 products in nine sectors within a period of five years and building the infrastructure simultaneously i think we have done well we have, we had our challenges in the pandemic but i think we have done well today we are a nine by nine by nine company and we are one of the largest 3pl players with this kind of a product portfolio and we still believe that our journey has only begun and it probably requires money to do that in your guys's case i mean it was uh, very unique the way that you capitalize the business because typically people would you know go the venture route you know raise a seed a series a series b series c in your case, you know, you said, that's not for me. I'm going to go at it right away with a really big private equity round, which is which is not normal. So tell us about that, you know, thinking and how that happened. In 2014, when I started thinking about it, I was already 45. And I realized that I've already been a CEO for 10 years. I've been a co-founder. I've built large companies. So why do I want to go all out? I want to go all out because I feel that I can actually build a legacy. I I have an opportunity to transform the supply chain of this country. And maybe 10 years later, when you look back, I have the opportunity of looking back with satisfaction that, yes, I was able to move the needle in this landscape, in this sector, in this area, in this country or in this geography of the world. And I think that was a driving force. The catch was that if I if I was to go with a seed funding round or venture capital funding round, I couldn't have made it big in a short period. This business requires a lot of expertise, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of capital right away. And that is the reason where, why there are no last 3PL entrepreneurial companies in this country other than Stellar. There isn't any. Even Future Supply Chain was big because it was the subsidiary of a large retail group. Similarly, all other 3PL groups are either multinational companies present in India or there are one or two more which are subsidiaries of large corporates which are in other sectors. The only this is the only entrepreneurial company, and to build this, I was very clear that I shouldn't even try building this if I'm not able to raise large capital. I had built future supply chain with very limited capital, and I realized the importance of capital for fast growth for fast scale up. And what's the total amount that has been raised to date? So, 125 million is what 125 million was the, the private equity round. Now, uh, in this sense, you know, for the people that are listening to get a good understanding of the uh, scope and the size of Stellar uh, today, you know, anything that you can share in terms of maybe number of employees or anything else? So we have around 15,000 employees today. Uh, 15,000 is a large number and we are present in a, approximately 150 towns and cities in the country. Uh, we run 12 million square feet of operations. We run 3,000 trucks and we still have a long way to go. We work across fashion, lifestyle, retail, automotive, industrial, engineering, consumer durables, FMCG. And the largest sector for us today is the most modern sector, e-commerce. Now, this is something I had not done in future supply chain. So a lot of e-commerce products were all developed by me for the first time. And the one thing I want to share with the listeners is that, especially in a country like us, and in fact, across the world, the pace of change is only accelerating. Every year, the the changes are so high that we have to keep reinventing ourselves to keep pace with the times. In 2016, when I started the company, and today in 2022, the world is very, very different. Yeah. In fact, it's very different from 2007 when I started Future Supply Chain. The world had already changed by 2016, 
But between 2016 and today, the world has changed multiple times over. Especially with the pandemic, it has changed faster. E-commerce is a very, very big sector today. So we built phenomenal expertise in the e-commerce sector. Uh, pharma is again another sector because of the pandemic has taken off. So pharma is another sector where we are revolutionizing the supply chain. The supply chain in the pharma sector in this place was very, very primitive. We have done a lot of work there. E-commerce is the fastest growing sector. So we have done a lot of work there. Uh, other sectors were already there. But you know what? We have also, uh, the, the reason for building, you, you asked me why, why did I build, decide to build Stero in 2016. There's a very big change that happened in India. And that the goods and services tax regime came into India in 2016. The GST regime changed the way businesses worked in India. So the whole nation became one, one nation, one tax. Earlier to that, every state was a different tax regime. So that was the right time to form a supply chain company because all companies, all corporates would reconfigure the supply chain over the next 5 to 10 years. Build, they would need large warehousing, they would need large storage, they would need modern mechanization. Before that, they didn't need to because they were running a small operation in every state. So it was the right, uh, right trigger, right time. And I think all that is happening today. All the sectors today are transforming the supply chains. All companies are moving towards modern supply chain. India is a country where 90% of the supply chain was unorganized sector. Only 10% was organized. In the next 10 years, that 10% might go to 40%. And that's a huge landscape. It's a $500 billion market. And 40% of that is a $200 billion opportunity. And even today, there's not a single company in the supply chain space which is a billion dollars in revenues. Mm. So you can just imagine the opportunity that there is, the opportunity for improving. And fortunately for us, the infrastructure in terms of national infrastructure has improved. The roads have improved, the ports have improved, the rail has improved. The corporates haven't yet played a large role in transforming supply chain and which we are here to do. And it's a great opportunity for us. And for our customers, the corporates who are going to use us. Our whole motto is to help our corporate customers improve their sales, improve their profitability, improve their margins, improve their speed, time to market, and reduce their cost to market. And that's what we are here for, and that's what we are doing every day. Now, 15,000 people is a lot of people to manage, and Schumann. Yeah. So uh, what, what, what have you learned about people? I think that's something I learned in my childhood. My father used to run organizations with 100,000 people. And I used to hand, see him handle unions. So uh, business class families learned business uh, while growing up. I learned management while growing up. And I think I learned a lot from my father on how to handle people, how to be compassionate with people, how to, be, how to have the context and deal pe with people holistically. People here are not very demanding. You just have to be understanding, ethical, compassionate and take good care of them. Don't treat them as an outsider. Treat them as a part of the equal ecosystem and they, they, they go along very well with you. And I, I think the, the biggest uh, thing that I've learned with people is that don't treat them as a HR function. I don't have a industrial relations function. I've never built an industrial relations function. I've run 14 companies as COMD, chairman, I've run seven companies as an entrepreneur, but I've never had two functions in my company. One has been industrial relations because I don't believe that my workers need an industrial relations department to handle them. It is us managers who will handle them directly. And it has always worked. The second function we've never had is a legal function 
Because if you don't have a legal function, you will not have litigation. If you have a legal function, they'll find work for themselves. Similarly, if you have industrial relation function, they'll find work for themselves and unions will be created. Yeah. Today, fortunately at Stella, we don't have a single union and we don't have industrial relation function. We treat people as equals. We have cricket matches with them. We play with them. We give them respect. And believe me, in return, they give phenomenal respect. They give their, their real hardworking people. Now, in a, imagine you go to sleep tonight on Schumann and you wake up in a world, you know, let's say five or six years later, where the vision of Stellar is fully realized. What does that world look like? If I wake up five years later and I can see the supply chain landscape in the country, the infrastructure in the country, the speed of goods moving in this country, the speed of or the way goods are stored and handled in this country, the way it is being done in the US and Europe today, I think it will be a very, very satisfying moment that this is what we have been able to build. We were at least 50, 60, 70 years behind the world. We would have covered that 50, 60 years in the next five years. And that would be a very, very satisfying dream. That we have been able, we have played our role in transforming the supply chain of this nation. Today, this nation competes with the best in the world in terms of infrastructure, in terms of technology-driven supply chain, in terms of speed, in terms of cost, in terms of delivering service to the end customers, and overall reducing inventories and making, making businesses much more efficient. That would be a very, very satisfying day. It definitely sounds satisfying, and Schumann. Now, imagine that I put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time. I put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were thinking about starting your first business. You know, if you had the opportunity of going back and having a chat with that younger and Schumann, you know, based on what you know now, because now you've built, you know, a few companies, you know, you've been around the block. So if you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self and giving your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? I wouldn't have changed anything. I would do exactly the same thing again. Uh, but if I have to give a piece of advice to people in India, I can't say the same thing about the rest of the world. Entrepreneurship is now becoming easier. In the last one or two years or three years, entrepreneurship is becoming easier. But entrepreneurship is a thing full of risk all the time. Get into it not because it's fashionable. Get into it only if you believe that you're up to it and you can leave a cushy, rosy, comfortable job. Because in India, even today, a job is a very, very sought-after thing. Uh, entrepreneurship is a fad even now. So there are a lot of startup stories which are successful. You read the newspapers every day and see a lot of startup stories. What you don't read is 99.9% .9 of the failures that happen every day in the entrepreneurship space. The country is evolving. I'm sure in the next five years, it will evolve phenomenally. I've done two entrepreneurial stints here. This is a company I built from scratch. To say that it was easy will be making a fool of everybody else, including myself. It was never easy. It has never been easy. Building businesses from scratch uh, has always been difficult. When we read the entrepreneurial stories today, the people are raising millions and millions of dollars. It's only the success story that you're reading. You're not reading the stories which have not been successful. Uh, the larger percentage still is struggling. So get into entrepreneurial state in this country only if you really believe that you want to take that risk and you're not doing it 
for the sake of trying. Entrepreneurship is something you should not do for make for having a go at it or trying it. Do it only if you believe in it and you believe in yourself. Absolutely. So, and Schumann, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? So they can write to me at anshuman.sing at stellarvaluechain.com. They can go to my website and there's a site. But I think the best way to say hi is anshuman.sing at stellarvaluechain.com. That's my mail ID. They can go to my LinkedIn and connect to me by LinkedIn. I'm not a very, very active social media person. So I'm not available on Facebook or Instagram or Telegram, but I'm available on LinkedIn. And uh, the best way is to say anshuman.sing at stellarvaluechain.com. Fantastic. Well, Anshuman, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you so much, Alejandro. So, thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So, also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.